Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name's Christian Allen. I'm here with my co-host, who you all know as Rodney the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what's up, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I've been enjoying all the snow around here. I'm getting tired of the snow. So if you listen to <laughs> past, past episodes, you might have heard me enjoying it, but now it's just it's just too much. <laughs> Christmas is over. Let's get rid of the snow. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't live. We don't live in the right place for that to be the case, Rod. But here we are. Um, okay, Rod. So I have a few, couple announcements, really okay. quick. That I want to hit on. I want to keep reminding everybody to join the Investment Strategies for High Income Facebook group. We're get we're getting some traction, Rod. We've got a yeah. couple hundred people in there now, and we're starting to make some uh, make some headway. We're still doing the Facebook Lives every tuesday at three mountain time five eastern um so check those out too but that's what that's the call to action for today go get in to the group if you haven't yet sounds good. that's my that's my only announcement you'll do it okay good i'll do it yeah okay i i haven't i haven't noticed to see if you're part of the group yet rod but if not you (laughs) definitely should be okay i'll make sure i'll make sure okay rod so today let me set the stage, right? So when I started in the financial services industry, I was I was 21 years old. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I had basically no life experience at all, and um, I had got home. I had just recently gotten home from being away from my family on like a mission for my church at the time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I come back from this, and uh, my life has changed a lot. Most people that have heard me talk know that my dad passed. So. When I was 19, I was gone. That's when my dad passed away. Um, I came back and I started getting involved with the financial services industry because my mom had kind of been like ripped off by people that I I say people she really should have been able to trust, right? Sadly, it didn't happen. Now, she was okay. Um, She lived a good, you know, she lived another 20 plus years and was financially able to be like comfortable and stuff. So it wasn't like, the end of the world, but she still had uh, money that was lost that really, sh- that just, there was no reason that it should have been that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So the, <laughs> the funniest thing was, is that when I was, when I started in the industry, I got there because my cousin, I had a cousin who had started in the business of Primerica. Yes. I had no life experience. I didn't know what Primerica was. I didn't even know what the financial services industry was all about did you know what an mlm was i didn't know what an mlm was (laughs) i i I mean it sounded really cool when i first started and and let me just be really clear i was part of primerica the mlm for like six eight six to eight months i kind of got started got licensed initially and then i saw the light relatively quickly right Mm. but here was the premise behind primerica the premise was all whole life insurance is evil and you need to follow al williams advice which is to buy term and invest the difference so today rod we're calling today's episode term versus perm settling the debate between 
buy term and invest the difference or buy whole life insurance. I'm excited. So that's our that's our objective fun. for today. It'll be fun. The good news is, Rod, we have a couple people here who know life insurance really well. One of them who knows it really, really well. So for that with that being the case, that's kind of the context for what we're going to be talking today, talking about today. Yeah, I'm 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 ready to settle it once and for all. Okay. I like know. your man, I like your energy, Rod. I like it. Okay. So setting the stage, that's what we know. I came from Primerica. This was like everything, right? It was by term invest difference. I heard it. It felt like I lived and breathed this for like a year. So when I came into the into the like other side of the industry, I had to like overcome these things. I really came in thinking, okay, maybe I'll go work with a more reputable company, but I'll only ever use term insurance because I know better, right? I just, yeah, I know better than what these evil companies are doing. Like I've been taught. Okay. And, so, <laughs> and you were also in the security side, right? So you were yes, uh -huh. poised and ready to help people to go out and invest. And yep. And I was absolutely ready to help people buy term insurance and invest the rest in the stock market. That was mm -hmm. the plan. Okay. So it really did genuinely took some converting. When you look at me today, and life insurance is such a key element to the way that we build wealth. It took like a full 180, mm -hmm. full 180 turnaround for me. Um, but can I just tell you, once I became a little bit more educated, it didn't, it wasn't difficult. Now, we still like term insurance. We're going to get into this, right? We think term insurance has its, has its place potentially. But can I just tell you, like eating and drinking this debate gave me an interesting view into the way the it, the industry sees it. And can I just tell you, it's a pretty raging debate anyway. But again, today we're finally going to settle the score. So here's what I want to do, Rod. I want to set the stage by making sure we actually know what both types of insurance are. Most people that are listening will already know this, but just give us kind of the high level. What is term insurance as our starting point? Yeah. So term insurance is for people who want life insurance, death benefit, uh, and they want it the least expensive way possible, least premium, least cost possible. So it's set up for a specific period of time for a specified term, uh, and you pay a level premium for the for the over the course of that term. It could be ten years, twenty, thirty. I've even heard of longer than that, mm -hmm. forty, fifty years. But either way, when you when you start it, you know exactly what your premium is going to be for that term. Once the term is up, uh, often the way it's described is the, the insurance policy goes away. In reality, what, what happens is you could still continue to, to keep that policy. You'll just pay enormous okay. amounts of premium to do it. So for all intents and purposes, consider it as if it's just gone, going away. Yeah, it's one of those things, Rod, where like if you were paying, let's just say you're paying $100 a month on your term premium, it could go up to like it will jump up after that 20 year number to uh, from 100 bucks a month to like five or 600 for the same thing. Yeah. Right. So yep. it ends up being exponentially higher at that point in time. But I think you made a good point because it doesn't just go away. It does. They do give you the option. In fact, the insurance companies would love nothing more than for you to keep paying that premium beyond the agreed upon initial term. Although, I think we I think we all know the only people who are going to pay that are people who are not expecting to live much longer. So either either that or they're just like it, it's like 
swept under the rug and they don't realize it. Those kinds of they're things. Just, yeah, right. They're just still paying for it. Yeah. But you're right. That's a, that is an important point. Okay. So it's kind of like auto insurance, right? You, yeah. you have insurance as long as you pay for it. Now you have to qualify for it. Just a little mm -hmm. bit different than, I mean, I guess you kind of do in property and casualty, but, but for, in terms of like the way that the benefit pays out, you pay the premium. If you get in a car accident during the time that you own your car insurance, it pays out the claim. If you own term life insurance during that time frame, and something happens, you die, then the life insurance pays out. If you don't have it, then obviously it doesn't. So if you have it, you have it. Okay. But it's not designed, Rod, to go forever. That's the other thing that's important. Yeah. It is designed to go for a specified period of time. So when we think about term insurance, it's usually for um, short-term needs, right? Okay, but we're not going to get into what term insurance is for at this point. I just wanted to create a baseline for what it is. Did we do that? Yep, I think so. Okay, Rod, now talk about what is whole life insurance. And when I say whole life insurance, talk about it in a general way first, and then we'll get into the various types of whole life insurance. Yeah, because you're right. The whole life is the one that gets dragged through the mud, uh, but it is in the side of a category, larger category that includes other types of insurance. But essentially, it's the, the, the category of insurance includes those types of policies that are meant to last until you die, no matter how long you live. Yep. Okay. Pretty simple, right? At the core of it, that's what it is. Permanent life insurance, whole life insurance. When we're talking about in this debate... That's what we're talking about. Life insurance designed to be there for the entirety of your life. Yes. And we're going to break it into four different types of life insurance. So obviously whole life is one of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the other three fall under a larger category of universal life. Uh, but it kind of has a few different forms. There's what's called guaranteed universal life, uh, which is just flat level insurance. Again, lasting as long as you as you live. There's indexed universal life insurance that uh, grows based on what's happening in a, in the market, but it's not invested in the market, right? It grows mm -hmm. if if the market goes up, it grows. If the market goes down, then you just don't earn any interest that year. And then there's variable universal life, which is invested directly into the equivalent of mutual funds. They call them sub accounts. Uh, but the, the value of your, your your cash value inside the policy fluctuates with the value of those market investments. Okay, perfect. So, so for this debate, usually when okay, so when people are talking about this debate of buy term and invest the difference, or or buy whole life or buy term, the issue is that they're talking about all types of life insurance. There's really mm -hmm. no differentiator, right? So they're just basically saying the people who are who are proponents of buy term invest the difference are suggesting don't buy anything that would be a permanent death benefit. So whole life, universal life, index variable, it doesn't matter what it is, just stay away from all of it. Is yeah. that fair? That's right. Okay. Okay. So I think we know what term insurance is. We know what whole life insurance is. Rod, before we start kind of diving into the premise behind buy term and invest the difference. Why don't you do a little bit of statistical analysis for us? Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to look at the cost of them. Just so from, okay, is, from a pure cost. I like it. Yep. We're going to look at the cost and because that's really the, the core of the debate. Yep. Life so insurance is too expensive and 
everyone selling it is ripping you. Okay, keep going. Yeah. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to say, okay, for a 45-year-old male with a preferred non-tobacco rating with the insurance company, mm-hmm. how much would they expect to pay for $1 million of life insurance? Okay. So we'll start okay. with term. If he gets a 20-year term policy at a million, he'll pay $1,200 a year for the for the insurance. Okay. Okay. Now, if we go to whole life, the same million dollars, he would pay $18,400 a year to age 100. Woo, that's a lot more. Very different. Very different. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you go to the, the Guaranteed Universal Life uh, version, which I nicknamed permanent term because it's the least expensive way to get the, the permanent insurance, it's $7,800 a year to age 100. Okay. And then inside of the IUL slash VUL world, it's going to be about $9,800 a year to age 100 for that million dollars. Okay. Pretty clear how big of a difference there is if you look at it purely from the cost standpoint, right? Okay, wait a second, Rod. Yeah, there's a huge difference, right? If you're saying now, first off, you have to you have to define what cost means to you. Right? Ah, oh, great. Now you're starting to muddy the waters a little bit. Oh, are gosh, you trying to I tell me there's not? Are you trying to tell me there's not? Uh, there's a difference in cost. There is a difference oh. in cost. Here's the thing that most people don't realize, Rod. Life insurance pretty much costs the same no matter what. It just depends on how long you let it last, right? Yeah. So whether if it's 20 years, you're just taking it over, you're taking the least likely time frame to die and you're taking that over the, tw- again, over the 20 years, you're very unlikely to die. So the expenses are obviously a lot less. There's no, there's little risk from the insurance company standpoint. Mm-hmm. As And of course, as you live further on, that risk becomes greater that they're going to pay out that million dollars, right? right? Yep. Okay, so- what do you get out of this? Right? Like what's, what's your, what's your takeaway when you look at these and say, okay, terms cost in 1200 bucks, whole life is like 20 times more almost. Uh-huh. Um, the G anyway, what's your takeaway from that? Well, the takeaway is that if, if you look at it purely from a premium standpoint, then it becomes pretty clear. In other words, if, if I'm saying, Hey, I need a million, I want a million dollars well, let's just say in 15 years, right? So that we can make it work across all, all of the products. I'm going to die in 15 years. I want a million bucks for my family. What's the least expensive way I can get that? Well, I think it's pretty clear what that is. So you're just right. you're just emphasizing that term insurance genuinely is the least expensive way to get a death benefit if you die in the term. While it's, yes. Okay, so, so now let's say I'm going to die in 25 years. Maybe getting back to kind of what you were saying earlier about the cost. If I die in 25 years, which was the least expensive option? It wasn't term. Term had to. That's a good point. So if I die in 25 years, right, I've uh, that one's been expensive because obviously it went it likely. Well, uh, if you kept it for longer, it was the the expenses went up tremendously. Right. And then. But if let's just say you kept it for those 20 years, you basically paid $1,200 for 20 years and you had the peace of mind, which is of which is of significant value, by the way. Sure. But yep. in terms of what's the most cost effective at 25 years, well, 
it's going to be hard to say term insurance because it's not paying you a death benefit. Yeah, it was a sunk cost. I didn't get the death benefit, but I did with all of the others. So it, I'm not going to say it didn't matter how much they cost, but but okay. So, but out, in this example, right? the GUL is your next best friend. Yeah, yeah. If it's a be- purely all about death benefit. Yep. Yeah, because you've you've decided I want a million dollars. What's the cheapest way to get that million dollars? For uh, guaranteed for a longer period of time, the mm-hmm. guaranteed universal life fits that. Pre- okay, yeah. now are we going to get into any more of that as to, in terms of cash values, or does this no. does this set up the premise that we? I think get that into? helps us set up the premise. Okay, to the, the debate. Okay, Rod. So here's the issue. Here's the issue that I've been hearing around whole life insurance for my entire career. Number one, we've we've obviously hit on it. Whole life in just, is just too dang expensive. Okay, that's the first premise behind buy term and invest the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put all that, you, you could earn two or three times as much if you put that extra money that you're spending for that massive whole life premium toward other things, right? Yep. Okay. And then the second premise that I always hear is that you don't need life insurance in retirement. Like everybody knows that if you're, if you're a responsible adult, Rod, there is never going to be any need for life insurance beyond retirement age. You're self-insured. You're self-insured, right? Okay, good. So those are the, those are the first two. And then, um, this one's just for fun, but, but this is what I basically hear. And this is the third one is whole life insurance is sold because agents are generally dishonest and they don't have your best interest in mind. So if somebody sells a product or service that's paying them a commissioner fee, you can pretty much throw, um, what's the right object, objectivity, honesty out the door, right? Yep. Is that yep. fair? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You can't have are... your interest in mind if they're making money. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. They would sell whole life to their own mother. Whoa. Rod, stop. (laughs) Stop that. Okay. Here's the irony, Rod. I have sold, I sold whole life to my mother and I own a whole bunch of it. So like, so like if I'm ripping people off, I have chosen to rip myself off as well. Okay. But here's the thing. I think we need to talk about how we actually see this because, because it's a little different, right? Our conversation, Rod, for the last several years as we work with high income earners has very little to do with whether what type of life insurance is most is is the most expensive. In fact, Rod, I would say that this debate as a whole is complete jackassery. (laughs) I'm borrowing the word. You heard it here. It's jackassery. (laughs) But let's talk about why we see it a little different. Okay. Yeah. So at the end of the day, Term insurance has a huge place in planning for people. So I'll give you yeah. some examples. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about some examples here in a second. But basically, if it's a short-term need, uh, I know that it's going to be a short-term need, then there's really no reason, right? I'm not using it as a tool. We're not talking about investing with an opportunity fund. We're just talking about purely from a death benefit standpoint. Mm-hmm. If it's a short-term need, if I have a loan, right? If there's something that I have to cover my house, something like that, that I know is a short-term need and it's going to be going away. Well, there's no reason from a death benefit, from a cost perspective to pay anything except term insurance to take care of that. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. So here's the question, Rod, why would anyone ever even consider going to whole life insurance? Well, 
Let me at uh, least. Well, I mean, we're going to talk about this, but like, but like, yeah. what's your initial thought on it? Okay, so my initial thought is that the the basic premise of it is is broken as it relates to what we do. Okay, so if if you are Dave Ramsey, and you truly believe that the stock market is the only way to invest, that's the only road to riches, uh, then there there's a point to this, right? Because if you if you the road paved in gold takes you to the promised land, you are self-insured when you get to retirement age. You don't need any more in insurance for the rest of your life. Be and and everything worked out the way it was supposed to with your investments in the stock market, then then the whole premise that they talk about behind buy term invest the difference is I get it, right? It's just it yeah. is just pure cost, like we talked about before. However, the world we live in is not that world. The world we live in has a lot more to do in terms of building wealth and and uh, you know accomplishing our goals, all those things, more than the stock market can offer, especially inside of qualified plans and those kinds of things. So when you move to the alternative space, then the the whole argument doesn't even make any more sense anymore because it's not about cost. It, like you said earlier, it's if we're using uh, life insurance as a tool, take the investment optimizer as an example. I'm I'm putting money into my policy. I didn't make the decision because I said, hey, Rod, I want life insurance. It's because I said, hey, I want to optimize the investing that I'm doing in my real estate, in my business over here in this alternative investing space. Yeah, it creates some insurance and that's great. That's insurance I don't have to pay for any other way. But it's a completely different mindset. The whole idea of buy term and invest the difference, it just doesn't even fit into the same into the commentary of this world. Rod, we were talking offline about but kind of before this about just the overall premise. Mm -hmm. And like you said, our world is entirely different. Instead of saying buy term and invest the difference, which by the way, when we were talking offline. We were saying like, okay, I, I asked you the question, well, let's just say we're not talking to high income earners necessarily. Mm -hmm. Let's say that we're talking to um, a, you know, so-and-so working 80 hour. Well, that's, that's terrible. Let me, let me start this again. Let's say that we're working with an engineer that makes $120,000 a year. Maybe they're not considered like high income, but they're still making a good living. Maybe it's a single family income. Like does it make more sense for that person? Again, not a high income earner necessarily. Does it make sense for that person to go down that road of buy term and invest the difference, which really, again, is like you said, it's buy term and invest the difference in qualified plans most often. Mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. well, so here's the thing. We came to the conclusion that even in that situation, there's a much better way to do it. And so yeah. our methodology is to buy term, for the death benefit needs that we have, right? For our short-term needs, then we're gonna utilize whole life insurance for our opportunity fund, right? The opportunity fund that we use so that we can go and invest. Mm -hmm. We're gonna potentially use something like an IUL for retirement income. And then finally, we're going to invest in alternative assets. So like our framework for how we build wealth is entirely different. And the reason we do that is because 
there's not a lot of strategic benefits that come with buy term invest difference. Like mm-hmm. you, if you go and you put your money in a 401k, like you are doing some tax planning, but like you're really, as we talk about, you're just, you're just throwing it down the road to a point in time where you may or may not actually save any tax. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, Rod. So let's talk about some situations though, before we get into this anymore, let's talk about some situations that each type of insurance actually can be used and creates value. Okay. Yeah. So we've talked about the short-term needs, right? So any short-term need can be covered through term insurance, but there's more. There's things that we can do in business planning that are specific to term insurance. For example, um, oh, I put business law. I thought business planning was here. Let me, let's try this again, Rod. I misunderstood your notes. Okay. <clears throat> okay, Rod. So let's talk about some examples. Why don't you talk us through some of the examples of where term insurance really does make sense? Yeah. Well, the most basic one that everybody thinks about is income replacement, right? And you might yep. call that a short-term need. I'm I'm in my working years now. I hopefully won't always be in my working uh, situation. But if I die during that time, then my family is out my income. Well, I need something to replace that. So income, um, you know, making sure my kids get to go to college or, or whatever, like any of those types of lifestyle types of things that would no longer be possible if I die and I'm no longer able to work, those would fit into that, right? Absolutely. Secondly, uh, you mentioned earlier covering uh, debt, right? Yep. So it could be your home. Uh, business loans often happen this way where the the lender will say, great, I'm willing to give you this loan, but if you pass away, the value is gone, right? The, the business goes away. And so I, I need you to take out some life insurance to cover this loan if that happens. Uh, and, and other types of business planning, right? We've, we talked recently uh, in, in a one of our podcasts about buy-sell agreements with b- between partners who, who own a business. Uh, key person insurance is another big reason uh, to, that people get insurance and term insurance can can be the right answer for that. And then the last one is convertible term for future strategic planning. So in a minute, we're going to talk about the why, why we might use the whole life IUL side. And I may be thinking about that in the future. I'm not necessarily ready for it, but I do, number one, want to make sure I have the insurance in place. And number two, I want to have qualified for it so I don't have to go through the underwriting process later. In other words, I'm kind of locking in my ability to qualify for the insurance if I get the, the convertible term now and then turn it into whole life slash IUL later. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of that with uh, the capital avalanche where yep. people who who ha- like maybe they've maybe they've already started the investment optimizer, right? They've gotten to a place where they're starting to invest. They see this other strategy. They want to get involved with it. They're maybe, like you said, not quite ready yet, but they know that that's something that they very well may want to take advantage of. Plus, Rod, it covers the actual short-term need of death. So yeah. I was thinking about this from high, a high-income earner. Let's use you as an example, Rod. You're a high-income earner and... Um, I happen to know at least the baseline of your insurance. And I know that you own term insurance, Mm -hmm. you own whole life insurance. And I also know that you own 
index universal life insurance because we just recently put a few hundred thousand dollars into for the, our first year into the capital avalanche. Yep. Um, so, but, but that's really the way that we would tell people to do it. We would say, let's just say you're theoretically high income earner and you have a $10 million. Okay. Let's, let's play this out, Rod. You're a million dollar income earner. Maybe you don't, maybe you need $10 million of income, but the strategic planning stuff that we're doing is only covering three or 4 million of that. Well, it could mm -hmm. still make sense. Very well could still make sense and would make sense to have another five or $6 million in term insurance that I'm paying to cover that short-term need, right? Yep. Which is again, our working income, replacing our income up until the point where most likely you would convert into all permanent insurance because again, over time, term insurance becomes kind of a sunk cost. Okay, Rod, so let's talk a little bit about the examples of where whole life and IUL actually make sense for us. Yeah, so if, I mean, first one is we're turning that into a, a longer term death benefit need. And again, contrary to what a lot of the talking heads out there say, life insurance is valuable for your entire lifetime. Talk about some reasons why, because you're right, Rod. This is one of those ridiculous statements that gets put out there. Like, like first of all, it it neglects the obvious component that life is part of our part of what we have going on, right? Mm -hmm. So, in other words, it assumes that everything goes perfectly. You save the right amount. The market performs the you know well enough. All of these things happen. You don't have any kids with disabilities, you don't have any estate plan. And I'm kind of going through things now, but like, but maybe just hit on a couple of the reasons why that's such a ridiculous thought. Yeah. I mean, part of it has to do with, with just, again, going back to a pure income planning uh, need. Um, did you know that if you have a couple in retirement and they're receiving social security and one spouse passes away, part of that social security income goes away. I did know that Rod. Thank yeah. you. But so, probably, but there's probably people who didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and like pension planning, again, th these are not, this isn't necessarily everyone that fits into this category. I'm just giving examples, but examples, pension right. planning, uh, obviously when someone takes a pension, they can choose to take the income for their only their own life, or they could take it for their life and their spouse's life. But what if, well, and sorry, before I get to that, you, you choose to do it for both spouses, right? I mean, that's right. just that's just obvious, right? Everybody would choose that. Ah, unless, unless I'm just thinking out loud here, Christian, what if you had something where a large amount of money paid out at your death and you could get more income by taking it, by taking the income for just your lifetime? Mm. So you get- Again, a little bit of strategic planning. 20% higher income. And if you both live long lives, you you got a lot more money in that through that pension income, as opposed to if you pass away. Okay, but if you pass away the next year, well then that income goes away. Ah, but if you have life insurance, then you have this death benefit that pays out, and the surviving spouse has the means to then go and replace that income. But in the meantime, if the more likely scenario happens and you both live longer lives together, you have more income to live off of. Mm. Yeah, that's a good example. One that comes to my mind, Rod, is a concept that we used to teach um, fairly frequently that we called the volatility buffer. Mm -hmm. And 
the idea is similar to what you're suggesting there. It's it's just saying, okay, the market is going to go up and down, and we're going to have market risk, but also, but our also sequence of returns risk. Mm-hmm. So the challenge with the market, particularly in retirement, is that if I have multiple years and I'm taking money out, then it can really compound on itself, right? Yeah. That's why we always blow up the 4% rule is so ridiculous because mm-hmm. it, again, assumes that everything goes well and you don't have you know, multiple down years early in retirement. Well, mm-hmm. the reality is, is that sometimes does happen. The volatility buffer comes in and basically is a whole life policy that's funded properly for cash building can be used when the market's not performing. Right. So the market, if I have a couple years in the row where the market's down 10 or whatever percent, instead of compounding the loss by pulling money out of that, in those years, I can pull money out of a a more consistent, stable asset that allows me to give the opportunity for the market to recover and return. So anyway, my point really there was just to suggest that the idea that we that there's no need for life insurance in retirement is as much jackassery as the entire debate itself. I had a feeling that was coming. Great. Yeah, Thanks for delivering. Coming. <laughs> <laughs> it was that or asinine rod. It was just one. It was one of the two, one of the two. Um, right. Okay. So, so those are all good examples, Rod. Talk about before we close things up, talk about the ways that we often use whole life insurance in our strategic planning with high income earners. Yeah. So you were using kind of my situation as an example earlier. Well, uh, I have whole life insurance for the investment optimizer and I use it. Yep. I use loans against my cash value to go out and invest, create cash flow, flow it back in through that, that whole thing. And the nice thing is that provides some life insurance, which will, which would be nice now if I pass away while I'm still young. Yes. I'm, claiming to still be young. Uh, you're young, Rod. You, or, I mean, you're young at heart, at least. Okay, good. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but but later, right, I will pass away at some point. So it'll, it'll pay out then. Or in the meantime, if I have long-term care needs, then there's an additional rider there that helps take care of that. So it's that kind of peace of mind that you talked about earlier. It's providing that peace of mind and I'm using it for my as my opportunity fund. Okay, so that's the investment optimizer. Okay. Uh, as you mentioned, we also have the capital avalanche policies mm-hmm. that allows us to take advantage of leverage to ramp up towards this future tax-free income in retirement. Oh, and yep. by the way, it also provides life insurance, death benefit. So again, if I die sooner, then then that pays out. And if you decide you don't need it, then you've got our next bullet point covered, right? Right. You've yeah. got your estate planning covered. Exactly. Even so, if you haven't used it. Yep. I don't take it for the income. I let the death benefit pay out. So it provides a, an enormous estate planning need, which can be come in a lot of different forms. It obviously could be used to pay estate taxes if if sure. I'm fortunate enough to have a, a large enough estate when I pass. Um, but also even just for liquidity needs, right? Let's say uh, business ownership needs slash real estate slash, you know, other things that require liquidity, but you don't want to liquidate the asset to just to get the cash. Well, death benefit or this life insurance is a great way to provide liquidity for the, for estate planning purposes. That's a really good point. Can I hit on one in a state plan? Just one point around estate planning that I think is important. Okay. So the estate planning numbers or the, 
what, what's the word I'm looking for, Rod? The lifetime exclusion. Thank you. Has been pretty high for the last several years, right? Okay. So a lot of people just assume like, okay, because I'm, you know, I've got, I don't even know what it is right now, 11 or 12 million per person. Let's say I married, then, you know, I can get up to 20 plus million dollars and not have any estate tax. But here's the deal. It wasn't, it was only like maybe 13 years ago that that same number was like 1.5 million, mm -hmm. right? So my point here is just to suggest it's really difficult to plan around that. Once you get over, you know, a few million dollars, then it, from, from like a net worth standpoint, you're probably at the place where you want to start thinking about that. Because again, we don't know where it's going to go in the future, but I think most people feel like it's likely to go down rather than up. And is we know at the very least that it's going to, what, what they have now is going to sunset and it's going to get, be cut in half after 2025. We're only a few years from there. So, yep, exactly. Okay. Sorry. I, you were rolling, Rod. Keep going. No, that's great. Okay. So the next cat, next one we had is charitable planning. Yep. Uh, and, and, and that kind of fits with estate planning. Um, but it's, it also goes to the benefit of, of charities, but doesn't, disenfranchise your children in terms of, of, you know, what they get life insurance helps provide that, that legacy piece of it. Even if you've donated the quote unquote asset to a charity. Yeah. And you can do crits, crats, cruts, and all sorts <laughs> of fun acronym um, planning. Like here's the thing. It's, it's one of those things that most people don't delve into, but once you get into that, start to get into the high net worth world, especially if you're charitably minded, mm -hmm. it can be a really, there's just some really powerful tools that allow you to benefit people you care about, your charity, your family, and less of the IRS. And generally speaking, Rod, they involve some element of life insurance as a replacement for at least some of the assets that you've then donated, mm -hmm. or it could be the money that's being donated. But either yeah. way, either way, provide some really significant tax benefits uh, but can also, you know, it, it's it's dual purposed in that it's helping people and can be extremely valuable um, for the person who's actually doing the the giving. Yeah, and that that'll kind of fit inside of a larger subcategory of tax planning strategies as a whole, right? And we've talked about the restricted property trust, um, private placement life insurance, or, or fully insured death ben or defined benefit plans uh, all fit into this whole kind of tax planning, which is, could be very strategic in conjunction with these types of policies. And then finally, when we talk about the term insurance, we talked about buy sell agreements, uh, key person insurance inside of the business structure. Well, believe it or not, a lot of people will use permanent life insurance for those as well. And for good reason, you don't necessarily know what the term is that you need. If you said, well, I think it's going to be 10 years, but then the business continues beyond 10 years. Well, okay, you, you either go get another term and policy or you, you'd realize, hey, maybe we should go something permanent. Uh, but then even beyond that, there are, uh, we call it the golden handcuffs types of planning where you have employees you want to incentivize to stay with you. You can build up this future at this asset that's going to be to their benefit later on in life well life insurance is another excellent way to build that up create some tax-free income in retirement for your key employees okay rod so here's the deal here's the bottom line instead of 
using the buy term invest the difference mantra. The money insights mantra is buy term insurance for short term needs, utilize whole life insurance for your opportunity fund, index universal life for retirement income, and make sure you're investing in alternative assets. Yeah, that's our mantra. Or put another way, buy term to make up the difference. Mm, I like whatever, it. Buy term benefit, to make up the difference. Whatever benefit was not created by these other strategic planning things that you're doing, go out and buy some term insurance to, to fill that need to make up the difference. Nice work, Rod. I think you settled the debate. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in this show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.